UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans, since 1999. Hello, welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. And we're going to talk about the Michigan-Minnesota game and preview the Michigan-Michigan State matchup. Well, Clint, you, uh, how did you feel about that big Michigan victory over the Gophers for the Little Brown Jug? You know, it was obviously a, a pleasant surprise to see. It looked like they were in midseason form. You know, it looked like they had uh, <clears throat> kind of maintained a lot of the positives that Josh Gaddis and the offense had, had started to build uh, towards the end of last season and, and even built on that some more. So um, I, I was very, very impressed, especially offensively, um, that they were able to to run pretty smooth operation. And I think the game plan on defense <clears throat> was was good for what they needed to do to stop the huge explosive plays from that Minnesota offense. Um, very RPO heavy, which uh, Don Brown knows that you got to play mostly man coverage against that. So to, to avoid getting cooked one-on-one against, uh, you know, probably the best returning receiver in the Big Ten uh, was also uh, a, a positive. So I was pleasantly surprised. You know, I, I picked Michigan to win a close one, and that one really wasn't that close. And I think the uh, the other piece of it that really made me, you know, surprisingly optimistic also was that it started out so poorly on the road at night against a ranked team, and there was really no sense of here we go again because they answered so emphatically. You know, that that Charbonnet 70-yard touchdown run was an instant answer to the bad start, and then they just kind of methodically took Minnesota apart from there. So what's interesting to me is, on one hand, we didn't have the non-conference schedule, right? But when you look at the score, it looked like Michigan beating up a non-conference opponent. And it was Minnesota. I mean, to score 49 points. Uh, and, and, you know, you made a great point. I think, you know, there were times in watching uh, Michigan football the last couple of years where in the games they would lose, things would go wrong early and you could kind of see them deflate. They just shrugged it off. And you know, I was thinking specifically of that, uh, you know, that um, penalty that Ben Mason had early, right? Whereas... You know, it was a really nice block, but, you know, it kind of took him out of scoring position. And it was like, oh, man, great play, tough break. They just kept rolling. And, you know, it's one of those games, too, where the statistics don't tell the whole story. You know, you look at the time of possession. Minnesota dominated 35-09 to 24-51 for Michigan. But Michigan just rolled. And, you know, to see Michigan roll up 481 yards in total offense, um, real balanced attack, 225 yards passing, 256 on the ground. Just just a really good, uh, a really amazing performance. You know, when you think heading in that there was a time a couple weeks before where Minnesota was favored and they just got thumped. So um, great to see. Um, what do you think was your uh, bright spot of the game or the biggest positive surprise? Uh, it was the old line for sure. I mean, f- replacing four starters, and, and I, 
I kind of mentioned it when uh, when I wrote the article, the preview article. I think Michigan's offense is a little bit underrated, especially by systems like the SP Plus that use returning production or experience as kind of an early season metric. It makes sense logically, but Michigan has more experience along that line than than brand new guys in there. It kind of reminded me of when Mo Hurst uh, came back and he wasn't technically a returning starter but he played like 60% of the defensive snaps and was hugely productive. So um, I, I just, I, they still surpassed even what I had for solid expectations. They, they were even better than that. There was one play, only one play that I could catch and even watching it twice where the left tackle got kind of bull rushed back into Milton and Milton spilled out of the pocket and got sacked. But other than that, the protection was, was very good. Obviously, the, the all four running backs had uh, significant holes to run through. Um, that was that was the biggest thing. I, I thought that we'd see a little bit of uh, discontinuity or, or a couple hiccups with, with protections or in the run game assignments. And they just looked, like I said before, looked midseason form. And, and that's... Hugely impressive and really a testament to uh, to the coaching staff and uh, the leadership, the player leadership for buying in, buckling down in a crazy COVID 2020 and, and really ironing out the wrinkles um, in a crazy offseason. I think we need to give credit to Jim Harbaugh. One of the things that was really aggravating about Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hoke, besides the lack of winning, was they didn't seem to be able to dial up the needed changes on the coaching staff, okay? And I think specifically to, um, you know, the, the end of the Brady Hoke era where the offensive line wasn't getting the job done. And instead of making a change there, um, you know, he brought in a, a different offensive coordinator for his last season. And – what I really appreciate about, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh from a from a, a management standpoint is, you know, he's brought in people who were friends. He's brought in people who were colleagues. And if he didn't think they were the right fit, they didn't necessarily get promoted or retained. And I think specifically about Greg Madison, right, where this was a case, the longtime family friend. He retained him on the staff, but when he needed to make a change at defensive coordinator, he wasn't given that opportunity. And I think that's one of the reasons that Madison moved on. But I think that, you know, we can look at, um, you know, who he brought in and, and it's worked out pretty well. Don Brown's done a pretty good job. And I think back, you know, I had a little bit of criticism when he brought in Ed Warner, you know, on the offensive line, you know, to coach them. And, oh, it's an Ohio State guy. He's bounced around a little bit. The difference that he has made on the offensive line, again, as somebody who loves to follow offensive line play and really appreciates that aspect of the game, uh, to see how well the offensive line came together. Um, obviously, you know, we have a number of games left, and we got to see if they can retain it. But to come out of the gate and look that well and, and give Joe Milton the opportunity to really – uh, be at the controls of the offense and get comfortable. I mean, what a what a tonic for a, a long COVID layoff to, to see that offensive line driving, 
to see Joe Milton doing well. And, you know, the balance on the offense was really, really incredible. Yeah, I would extend your point to uh, to making the switch to Jeff Gaddis. Remember, uh, at the beginning, you know, in the preseason leading into the 2019 season, the question was whether Harbaugh could really turn over the keys to the car, so to speak, and even allow somebody else to, to call plays. And, uh, you know, I, I think Saturday night was a, was a testament to um, Harbaugh kind of staying out of the way or, or kind of uh, being a catalyst and, and, and bringing some of his power scheme and, and gap scheme um, and, and kind of supplementing or enhancing even uh, Gaddis's, you know, spread offense uh, principles. So there was a lot of really great stuff there that was, um, you know, somewhat unique, I, you know, not singularly unique, but not your run of the mill standard, you know, playbook spread offense stuff. There was a lot of, of integrating the, the fullback or H back with Ben Mason that I thought was kind of more vintage 2015 and 16 and, and pre you know, pre-Michigan for Harbaugh. So to, to extend your point about his, his ability to kind of change direction, make personnel moves, um, you know, kind of firm handshake, thank you for your time, and and be able to move in, in a different direction in, in order to try to improve the program, that's, uh, that's a big deal. And um, not all coaches can do that. I, I would argue that that not being able to do that was, was probably the downfall of, of Mark D'Antonio in, in Michigan State. You know, it's interesting, too, that you mentioned D'Antonio. It's one of the things, even though I was a huge fan of Lloyd Carr, I thought that um, one of the things that uh, kind of, you know, helped the gas run out of his regime was maybe being a little too loyal to some of the coaches that were, you know, long time uh, on the staff and not necessarily making the right adjustments moving forward, obviously not having a, a, a definite heir apparent, right? So mm-hmm. it's one of the things that, you know, there's been a lot of criticism of Jim Harbaugh's lack of big success, right? You can't say lack of success, but again, um, we haven't seen the Big Ten championship. We haven't seen the college football playoffs that we would like to see. But one of the things that he has as being, you know, pretty solidly in this job is he does have the time to continue dialing up. And, you know, again, I would say when you're looking at the coaching staff, I've seen a steady improvement. And uh, again, it's just when we I don't think we can talk about the offensive line without really, really giving credit to not only Ed Warner, but but Harbaugh for for bringing him in and, and getting the job done, you know. One of the other things, again, you know, I'm a big stat guy. So, so uh, um, you know, Clint, if I had told you before the game, hey, Michigan was going to lose the penalty battle, right? 70, pad- 70 penalties for 80 yards, and they were going to be dominated in time of possession, 35 to 24. Um, we might think that that would be a bad day. And what's funny is that the only penalty I really remember was that, was that kind of hilarious one with Mason where – you know what, I'll take that penalty coming going all day long, right? If you're going to dominate a guy like that, um, you know, you you know, I thought he gave a great, great explanation that, you know, from the time, uh, you know, he was coached by his dad and his, and his other coaches, he was taught to, 
drive the guy through and block until the uh, the whistle, and he definitely did that on that play. So, um, so again, uh, what you know, obviously super happy with the offensive line play. Uh, you know, super impressed with what we saw from the offense. Um, what would you, you know, if you had to pick a problem area, um, what would you, uh, what would you identify that we definitely need to improve on moving forward? I think the easy low hanging fruit is special teams. You know, you only punted one time and got it blocked and set up their first touchdown. Uh, you tried three field goals and didn't make any of them. Um, all of them under 50 yards, two of them under 40 yards. So, Special teams is probably a, a pretty easy one. I think there was uh, we didn't really get to see what we have in the return game because Minnesota's uh, specialists, um, you know, were, were out with uh, with COVID or, or you know whatever they were out with, likely um, COVID. But so so we don't know. That's kind of an unknown. But what we did see from the kicking game wasn't good. So uh, that's the, the largest area for, for improvement. Um, it's not a major concern for me. I think that Har under Harbaugh, they've done a really great job on special teams. And I expect this year to be better than last year in special teams. It's kind of just a small sample size kind of thing right now. And we'll see how this shakes out with uh, Quinn Nordine and Jake Moody. Um, sounds like Quinn Nordine wasn't actually available. So uh, that's that's the simple answer for that. There were some other uh, things that I think can improve, but the, the the pros so vastly outweigh the the cons that the only thing I could say really to to focus on would be special teams. Yeah, that's an obvious one. Um, okay, I was super impressed with Joe Milton. Again, you know, uh, you know, I was joking. I've been joking with people. You know, Joe Milton for Heisman, right? You gotta. You gotta love a guy coming out of the gate and playing that well and that poised. Um, you know what I would like to see is I would like to see him. It was great to see him hit those intermediary passes that he hit. Uh, I want to see him air it out. I want to see this rocket. I want to see him launch one. Um, and again, it, it's one thing to be able to launch it. You know, launch it long. We've seen it. We've talked about it before. We mentioned it last year, right? Um, you want to be able to see if how accurately he could launch that rifle. And I, I want to see that. So, um, you know, I think uh, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, you know, coming up into this game against Michigan State, um, you know, ideally you want to see a win, but I would like to see a little bit of uh, working on the um, long to intermediate pass game and, and see uh, what he can get going there because – I know we're going to need that uh, heading on as we as we get tested. Um, any final thoughts on Minnesota before we move to Michigan State? No, I think my main my main thought on the, the entire game was was really uh, impressive that that Michigan could come out and look solid uh, in in a tough opener in a tough circumstance after a crazy. Uh, after a crazy off season. And I think that we're seeing um, the results of, of player leadership being uh, trusted by the coaching staff. And, and those guys are really stepping up to the occasion and, and leading from inside the locker room and holding each other accountable. I think that uh, from what we've seen so far, um, I, I think that that 
would help explain your ability to bounce back from some early adversity. And it also shows that they were willing to prepare um, correctly. And, and with all the other noise going on, they were able to block that out. I think you got to give a lot of credit also to the player leadership of the team. So th- those are the big things for me. Well, and you know, they did pick seven captains. So there's a lot of leadership to go around. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that came out of the post game was that um, Ben Mason addressed the team prior to going on the field. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, it, it's really good. I, I would uh, refer people to listen to the podcast where we pulled the highlight out of his press conference. And what was really awesome about it was, you know, Harbaugh said, listen, you know, a lot of guys can give great speeches, but he could think of very few times where guys backed it up and, and Ben, Ben Mason backed it up. And, you know, I want to, you know, really, you know, highlight Ben Mason because, you know, last year they moved him to defense and he had been really successful, you know, as a, as the H back on offense and they needed, you know, some depth on the defensive side of the ball. He took the move, right? And it has to have been not exactly the funnest thing to do, right? It can't be top on your list to, to go move from a position where you're pretty successful. He did it, and, you know, it's what the team needed. And this year they moved him back, and he talked about how, listen, I learned a lot on defense. It was great for me, but he's super, super happy to be back on offense and uh, they asked him why and he said because I love to block and so not only did he give a great speech you know giving you know telling Joe that everybody had his back but as Harbaugh said he went out and backed it up and it's it's that kind of character and that kind of uh, you know performance that really gives me good feelings moving into this season and again definitely looking forward to uh, to see uh, where this team can go. So, having uh, beat the Gophers into the ground, discussion-wise, much like Michigan beat them into the ground on the gridiron, um, what are your thoughts reg- uh, when you look at the SP Plus numbers about Michigan-Michigan State? So, in the preseason, I, you know, as much as we talked about what I liked about uh, Michigan and the poise and preparation that they displayed uh at minnesota you know michigan state never really had a legitimate opportunity to do that i mean mark d'antonio was still the coach into february when the pandemic was on on the precipice of, of hitting so ever since that kind of crazy coaching search and and then a the whole world shuts down for a global pandemic they're the the absolute opposite end of the spectrum from from what I think Michigan was able to do well in terms of preparing and, and staying together and marching all in the same direction. So um, when I looked at the preseason SP plus numbers, you know, Michigan, I thought was a little bit underrated. I think that they bring back some some key guys and are actually going to improve with with some guys in key spots. And then state, I thought was a little bit overrated, just because I don't I don't think it was taking into account this this coaching change, on top of the strange 2020 
preseason, and then obviously week one happens, and Michigan State loses at home to Rutgers by, you know, 11, you know, by two scores and turns the ball over seven times. And, and you know, I, I've seen that before. That's a, that's a team that's just in disarray. You, you just – you don't know which way is up at this point, and uh, it, it makes perfect sense. This is not a knock on – even Mel Tucker individually, it's just I don't know who could be successful in that particular situation. So it's crazy to me somehow. I think Michigan is still a little bit underrated in the numbers. Uh, they did move up to number nine in SP+. Um, that, that seems about right, but I think their offense is still a little bit underrated. I think the defense is still a little bit underrated. And uh, Michigan State right now is 60th which is pretty close to middle of the pack for all of FBS. And I think by the time all is said and done, they're going to be pushing closer to 80 or 90 in SP plus. So they're still a little bit overrated. And, and I think SP plus picked Michigan to win by 19. And uh, I, I see this being much, much wider than that. Even Vegas, the Vegas line that I saw was 24 and a half. I, I think Michigan will cover 24 and a half in the third quarter. So I am expecting a butt kicking, right? Um, I do think this is somewhat of a dangerous game. And for the, for the only reason being is that, you know, this rivalry is driven by a lot of guys who are in-state guys. And I think that um, when you come out and have and play so poorly, as Michigan State did, right, there is a and and with all the things you mentioned about your expectations for the season, right? Michigan State comes out if they can come out and and, and play well in this game, this is their whole season, right? And I, I know we use that cliche you know a lot, but I think that's the case, right? Um, you got to believe they're they're having a real intense week of practice, and um, you know, listen, I think Michigan's going to win. But what I'm worried about is with how tough this game is played on the field, I hope that we can, um, again, get some practice in, um, exercise the offense a little bit, and get out without any, without any injuries. Um, it's a dangerous game, not because I'm afraid of losing, but I'm afraid of losing guys. Um, and not even because, um, you know, we've talked in the past that, there have been times where Michigan State had a reputation of taking some cheap shots. Um, I don't think – I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about them just coming out and playing as hard as they can and, uh, you know, catching somebody unexpectedly. Um, uh, again, it's just one of those things in this game. My concerns are totally about getting out healthy and, and not having somebody get injured or losing somebody uh, because this is going to be a tough game. Everyone will be blocking through. The hits will be big. And, you know, it kind of worried me a little bit when Michigan lost to – or when Michigan State lost to Rutgers because, man, they got nothing left. Okay, when you look at their schedule, it's going to be a tough go. Uh, you know, you know, looking just, you know, projecting, you know, hey, they, they got Maryland. Everybody else is probably going to be a loss and a big loss. So they're going to let it all hang out against Michigan, um, you know, on Saturday. Yeah, and, and 
that was exactly my thought process in the preseason when I picked Michigan to win by a couple scores, something like 31 to 14 or, or something like that. Exactly what you said. I think that's going to be the, the Michigan State Super Bowl. Um, you know, they're going to have a little bit of confidence coming off of what I thought would be a, a pretty easy win against Rutgers. You know, I, I thought that there, there's always some some rivalry forces that kind of tighten this game. Even in 2016 and 2018, when Michigan was clearly the more talented team and was playing better, those games were still tight and, and they were still in doubt, you know, all the way to the end. Um, but last year in 2019 at home, all of those things kind of applied. Mark D'Antonio's kind of coming down the home stretch. Um, and it's their Super Bowl in the 10th game of the season. And they they just couldn't muster. They, they, they played with that same rivalry intensity. Um, they were close, you know, through the first quarter and, and some of the second quarter, you know, but it was 17-7 at halftime. And, and Michigan hit the gas, you know, in the third quarter and left them in the dust. That was best case scenario for Michigan State last year. Now this year, with all those problems and transition that I just talked about, I don't see how they could even do as well as last year when they put 10 points on the board and, and you know, kept it close in the first half. I just I don't think that that's going to be possible. And the main reason for that is that they're not very good on the offensive line. They're, they're, if they had a very strong running game, you know, and had some of that identity still that they could hang their hat on, um, I could see that happening. But I don't think that they're going to be able to run the ball effectively. And once it's third and long, I, and and Quiddy Pay and Aiden Hutchinson can kind of pin their ears back. I, you know, I expect them to be able to force more turnovers out of this team. You know, they're. They're going to be able to put a lot of hits on the quarterback. He's going to rush throws, maybe deflected balls, strip sacks, whatever. You know, but I expect to see another two or three turnovers in this game uh, out of, you know, for Michigan's defense. And I just, I can't, even the most conservative, you know, uh, pessimistic version of myself just cannot see Michigan State putting up anything more than 10 or 14 points in this game. And, uh, and I think Michigan looked so dynamic on offense that they're going to be up in the up in the 30s or maybe the 40s again. So I just I can't see it. Um, I, Michigan State could really throw the kitchen sink at them and, and try to cover the spread and get some kind of moral victory out of that uh, for the fan base. But I just I can't see this game being close in the second half. You know, you mentioned Mark D'Antonio really left a mess. And uh, I have told, uh, you know, I do have a few friends who are Michigan State fans, and they were lamenting the status of the season. And I said, listen, you pretty much have to write off this year and give give uh, Coach Tucker a pass. Um, coming in the way he did, cleaning up the mess that he's cleaning up, um, you know, he definitely has a, a job ahead of him. And, uh, listen, I, I – I, I love to put a beating on Michigan State. Um, you know, we've had over the last ten years a, a few uh, a few tough days, right? So uh, I'm I'm perfectly okay with with uh, giving them one back, and uh, I think uh, I think we both hope. You know, 
you know, and again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but, you know, when you're considering this kind of a glorified, you know, uh, a chance to exercise parts of your game, right, I really hope we get a chance to kick some field goals because um, that is, that's an aspect of the game that worries me. Um, you know, uh, Coach Harbaugh said that Quinn Nordine was working through some things, but it's a little disappointing to, uh, to not be deeper, right? Um, you always talk about that the expectations for the position, not the player, and uh, things didn't look good kicking field goals last week. Um, and again, you know, like you said, we didn't get a good chance to, to see the return game. I don't know if we're going to get much of a chance. Um, you know, I try to, you know, I always try to think, what's the scenario where our expectations could be upended, right? What kind of a day would it have to be for Michigan State to be competitive in this game? And the only thing I could see, again, in a, in a complete outlier, one in a thousand, one in 10,000, is uh, that somehow um, Michigan, you know, has some kind of, we have some horrible weather day that limits the, uh, um, the effectiveness of the offense or some kind of weird, quirky, um, you know, uh, uh, thing where, where uh, perhaps Milton leaves the game and uh, it's, it's a, a low-scoring, epic, um, you know, horrible, horrible loss. You know, I think back, um, you know, there was, a, there was a game about 20 years ago with Purdue where both teams were, were in the low single digits because of the weather, right? Um, so, you know, short of some kind of epic, the hurricane changing directions, turning into thunder, sleet, and snow, um, I, I don't know what kind of scenario Michigan State could keep this game close. Um, and again, I, I, I certainly hope that um, we see Michigan uh, exercising all aspects of the game and, and really hanging a, a, a huge loss uh, on Coach Tucker in his first season. Yeah, I mean, what you're describing there is that 2017 game when it was a monsoon and they managed to uh, score early against Don Brown's defense, and then John O'Corn just could not uh, protect the ball. I think Michigan turned the ball over five times in that game, and still, you know, you still had a chance to win it at the end of the game. You know, and this this Michigan offense, this Michigan team is not that team. You know, that's the worst team that we've seen in the Harbaugh era, you know, clearly. And this Michigan State team is not that 2017 Michigan State team. So even, like I said, when I've run the, <laughs> a simulation in my mind for the absolute worst case, it would be kind of what you described is, is as long as Michigan can stay healthy and not run into any depth issues at any key position, then they should be able to execute and and make a pretty pretty lopsided game on Saturday. Um, I do think that we're going to see a lot more from the return game. I do think that Michigan State's going to be punting significantly more than Minnesota did, right? I think Minnesota had success on offense with their RPOs because um, Michigan decided to take the the P out of RPO and not not let them hit those passes. So um, I, I don't. It's not going to be like that against Michigan State. I think uh, Minnesota put up like 330 or maybe 340 yards of offense. And I, I don't see Michigan state meeting that same, uh, same level of success. So I do think we'll see the punt return uh, unit 
more often this game, and I'm excited for that. I think uh, I think Giles Jackson, if he's the return man, uh, has a chance to be a big step up um, from what we saw in the last three years, just in terms of uh, just catching the ball in the air and not letting it roll out would be a big deal. But also uh, Giles Jackson, I think, is going to make some explosive plays uh, returning kicks, and, and why not start on this Saturday on Halloween against a rival? So uh, the kind of weather I was thinking about was uh, during Lloyd Carr's first season, and first year I was a season ticket holder after graduating, um, Michigan beat Purdue 5 to nothing. okay, on a field goal and a safety on just an incredibly horrible weather day, right? Um, it was back when the stadium uh, was still uh, natural turf, and uh, it wasn't having its best day. It was freezing. The wind was gusting 50 miles an hour. And looking ahead at the forecast, the Spartans have no such luck on Saturday. Looks like it's actually going to be a pretty balmy 50 degrees. So uh, hopefully uh, we will see a, a great result. Yeah, they're rooting for something like that 2012 game, second year under Brady Hoke, when uh, Michigan won 12 to 10, something like something like that. I just, I, I guess theoretically it's possible. Anything's possible. This year's crazy. Um, I'm sure that uh, you know there'll be some some folks that won't will be eager to kind of throw my words back at me if this Saturday looks different than what I think it'll look like, but. Um, I just it would have to be a really a truly perfect storm of things working in, in the favor of the Spartans. And I just I don't think that they've got the assets to actually exploit Michigan's mistakes like that. So we'll see. And uh, hopefully we are uh, we're kicking back, relaxing and watching uh, watching some guys, maybe some freshmen and, and younger guys get some some repetitions, maybe see Cade McNamara in the second half of this game. That's that's what I expect. So anything that that's less than that, I, I'd be disappointed, you know, outwardly. All right. Well, I hope we have uh, we see a lot of the uh, second and third string in early, and it would be great to see Cade uh, get some reps. So that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.